Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wise Cracks Movie Podcast. Show me the ending of this Marvel stuff. When are we going to see the end of it? Uh, Chevy, so, uh, base set, space six. Let's I go. I feel like you are giving away your thoughts about this film and the whole Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Sorry. Universe. Spoiler alert. Quite early there. Well, shit, man. What up, everybody? I'm Austin Hayden, and I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We've got Ryan and his grumpiness. What up, film fans? I'm having and, a. I'm on one today. Oh, he's on one. Raymond, are you equally grumpy? Because we have Raymond too. How you feeling about this whole thing? Oh, whatever. Oh my <laughs> god! Wow. Okay. Well, it's my job then to bring up the fucking positive vibes here. We're going to be talking this week about the newly released Black Widow, directed by Ozzy. If you are Australian in the house, raise your mother friggin' hands. Kate Shortland, starring Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, Rachel Weiss, Ray Winston, etc., etc. All right, let's just get straight into this. What are your first impressions? I imagine neither of you have seen this film twice. Both of you seem extremely grumpy about this. So let's... Grumpy? No. I would say grumpy. Let's start with Ryan. Ryan, why are you experiencing Marvel fatigue, and what did you think about this film? I'm really not. That was uh, that was just a little little Marvel joke at the beginning. I I This movie gets a resounding shrug from me. I, did, I neither loved nor hated it. There's just, uh, uh, this, and I do question why it exists. I guess, I assume <laughs> I for why it exists. That's harsh, financial bro. reasons. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just kind of like, I am so used to it now, watching Marvel movies. It's just a part of my daily or yearly routine now, I guess. Although we haven't had one in a while. So this, I guess it's new, uh, or it's the first one post-pandemic, but... Yeah, it was just kind of dumb, and and I will never think about this movie after today, after this podcast. This will be the last time. Not to say it's bad. There was good stuff in it. Better. It was well shot, I would say. Some of the character stuff was cool. Some of the action stuff was okay and stupid. That's, I, whatever. What do y'all think? Okay. What do y'all thought? Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, Raymond. Wow, thanks for me. Thanks for uh, passing me the rock there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought this. Uh, I th- I thought this movie was um, for the first forty-five minutes of it. Around that, it, it's kind of cribbing from your Mission Impossible's and Jason Bournes and James Bonds, and I kind of like that. I I think that there is there's a really cool movie that could have been made in that direction, but then it just it just kind of turns into 9-11 like all these movies do where at the end she she's you know fucking 
float flying through the sky surfing surfing down on this falling debris and 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 it's that kind of like weightlessness that you know these movies don't have a whole lot of stakes to begin with because they're effectively soap operas at this point you know there are characters who will die and come back and they get brainwashed and they you know but that's the that that's comic books to some extent you know you kind of just go with it but setting aside like the macro stakes when you're watching this movie just as a movie and you know the the cool thing about black widow or at least the idea of black widow in my mind is that she is she's a human among gods mm. and she has to find a way to be able to compete with and maintain the same the same standards of the avengers and you think that maybe what she brings to the table is her her spy craft and her her intellect and all that stuff but by the end of it it's like eh, she's kind of just captain america basically you know she she can fall literally out of the clouds and <laughs> and not have a scratch on her and that's the kind of stuff that really just bums me out i would have loved if uh, if this movie had kind of maintained the course and kept it more personal and more grounded and more kind of, you know, Jason Bourne or Mission Impossible light. Because um, I think some of those early sequences are a lot of fun. You know, there's uh, there, there's some, some good hand-to-hand combat there. Uh, you know, that scene on the bridge where she's fighting Taskmaster is kind of when the 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 physics engine gets turned off and, you know, you... you can stop worrying about whether or not well even before that she falls like eight stories and hits three different air conditioning ducts and lands on a dumpster and then lands on her feet and i'm just kind of like i don't know i don't know how many lives this uh, this this cat has at this point but uh yeah i just i i kind of wish that it had gone in that more sort of grounded human direction given us a different flavor than your average marvel spectacle uh, and it really bummed me out when it just became like, you know, it's just, like I said, it's, it, it, it's just, uh, space. She goes to, she goes to space and then falls out of space and well, there's not a scratch on her. I'm going to so, carry this freaking ship. I'm going to carry this ship with joy then because I really fucking enjoyed this film. Okay. All right. And I enjoyed it for all the reasons that you're saying that you were hoping it would have been more kind of grounded in humanity. I loved that. I loved that. I literally turned to the lady friend as we were watching it and I was like, this is like a born movie. And she was like, yeah, totally. And I really the earlier stuff. Yeah, like yeah. the 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 opening bit, a lot of the car chase, the aerials of the of the car chase scenes, like at, sure. the, at the beginning, and then I even think that first and then, that first sequence where they're taking the kids out of the house, all that stuff. It's good. Yeah, it's good and then even and and then even the the fight scene with with Yelena and Natasha in the apartment was very reminiscent of Born. You know, the pen scene where he kills the dude with the pen in the apartment in France or wherever the heck they are. Like I was kind of like, oh, this is really cool. But then there were also like direct Bond illusions. You know, I think Moonraker's even playing in the back background at one point so I was like okay and then here's the thing man here's the thing the first iteration of Bond he never got a scratch on him right and then you get Daniel Craig's Bond and that's when he becomes human you know his balls are getting smashed by Mads Mikkelsen in Casino Royale and you're like oh and that was really cool that they did that I'm kind of okay that Black Widow is pitched at let's say first 
iteration Bond level of invincibility, but with her. Yeah, because, but the biggest stunts but, that John Connery ever did was like drinking a highball and smoking cigars. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> like, fair, he's fair, not, but he's not doing this. But go but on. But even Roger Moore, like he'd ski down a mountain, and his like makeup was still perfect, and his hair was fantastic, and he was didn't even break a sweat, right? So I'm okay with her having that bit of invincibility, especially because she is still in the superhero kind of world. And then what I think this does is this lays the groundwork for future iterations. Let's say uh, we're still at the kind of tail end of Marvel 1.0. When Marvel 2.0 starts to maybe become a little more grounded, the next generation of filmmakers, maybe they will give us the, the Black Widow where she's got a cut on her face and she's all fucked up and shit like that. But I kind of really enjoyed it, even though I did actually turn to... The, the gal at one point. I'm trying to figure It's early in the relationship, so I don't know what to call it because we haven't done that yet, so I'm going to just keep using a variations <laughs> on, on on the lady, on the lady friend. Um, but uh, I turned to her at one point, and I'm like, you know what I really love about this film? I was like, they haven't done it, and what annoys me about all the other superhero films is always there's like some fight scene where they're just flying through the fucking sky, and they're like shooting lasers out of their eyes, and then literally five minutes later, they're flying out of the sky, and the Taskmaster's falling, and she's like, watch, he's it's going to shoot lasers out of its and I was like, God damn it. That was the moment where I was kind of like... shooting them out of their wrist? Yeah. yeah, I know. So, but, 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 I still really enjoyed this film immensely. I thought it had some interesting themes to explore. And to be honest, compared to... I have Marvel fatigue, too. I do. I definitely have it. But I actually really enjoyed this one. And I think it's because I don't watch all of the Marvel films and I don't get like so involved in all of the online fights and the, the Marvel lore and is it is it true to the, the comic book so for me I'm kind of like an amateur that comes in and I watch this as a piece of cinema and I really friggin enjoyed it so I just want to say that yeah I'm going to be the positive captain steering this ship and I'll let you two grumps battle it out on the other side but no, I'm, I'm, I'm half positive I, I'm half before positive. before we start peeling peeling back the layers of third grumpiness positive. or the third, yeah, exactly. Let me give just a quick little recap here. So, basically, the film opens in 1995, where a team of Russian spies pose as a suburban Ohio family. Father Alexei, mother Melina, and their two daughters, Natasha and Yelena, must flee, however, and head back to their homeland. But first, they go to Cuba, where the daughters are separated from their surrogate parents, and both are sent to the Red Room, where they will be trained as Black Widow super soldiers. Years later, we catch up with Natasha, who's on the run for violating international law as part of the Avenger team. And then, of course, at this same time, Yelena ends up killing a rogue black widow and releases this chemical agent that undoes the mind-controlling powers that keep the black widows under the command of General Drakov. Yelena sends Natasha this chemical agent antidote, hoping that she and the Avengers will be able to find a way to stop Drakov. But since things aren't so rosy with the Avenger team at the moment, Natasha ends up tracking Yelena down in Budapest instead. The two of them break Alexei out of prison so that they can find out the location of the Red Room and Drakov, but they need the assistance of their former surrogate mother, Melina, who was the one responsible for the creation of the mind-controlling chemical agent in the first place. Now, while at Melina's house, Melina reveals that she actually sent the other's location to the Red Room and that they would be coming any minute to capture them. Once captured, however, it is revealed that Melina and Natasha used face-swapping technology so that Natasha could get close to Drakov. 
However, she can't kill him because he's programmed all of his widows to become damn near impotent when near his pheromones. But Melina had already informed Natasha of this, so she breaks her own nose and then kicks his ass. But he escapes, and the other widows come to attack Natasha. But at the same time, or at this moment, I should say, Yelena detonates a bomb that contains the chemical antidote that undoes the mind control, freeing the widows. Then, a few minutes later, Yelena blows up Drakov, uh, his escaping helicopter, killing him. Now they're safely on the ground. The freed widows end up taking Alexei, Melina, and Yelena away to safety, while Natasha remains behind to try to develop more of the antidote to free the other black widows that are still out there under mind control. We then flash to two weeks later. Natasha's given a Quinjet, and she sets off to kind of patch things up and free the other Avengers. And then, of course, as is the case, there's always some post credit madness and what we are shown is that after natasha's death spoiler 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 um i mean unless you are deep in the marvel universe then you already know this but anyway after natasha's death yelena is recruited to avenge her death by going after clint barton aka hawkeye aka jeremy renner who is determined to be the one who actually killed natasha and that's the real end of the movie we're going to delve into this film, but before we do that, we've got to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can connect with other like-minded people and creatives, where you can explore projects that you're passionate about. And this is one of the reasons why Skillshare is so cool, is that you can unleash your creativity and you can pursue these passions right from the convenience of your own home. I know some people are in deep lockdowns like we are in Australia right now. Other people are out in the world. Some people are going back into lockdown. But there's a consistency here that no matter what, no matter where you are, no matter the state of the world, you can still find these cool like-minded people and find these amazing courses where you can learn about these projects and learn about how you can stimulate your creativity with things like learning about iPhone photography and drone filming, editing classes for improving productivity, video for Instagram, um, learning about how to be an artistic activist, etc., etc., etc. So if you want to explore your creativity and if you want to connect with some rad people, go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. That's Skillshare.com slash SMTM and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership or you can click, click the link in the show notes. Now, I also do want to say that if you are in the live chat right now, please feel free to give us all of your thoughts. Do you think, are you experiencing Marvel fatigue? Did you think there was something really interesting going on in Black Widow? Are there any themes? I mean, I don't want to sound too critical, but these Marvel films aren't always the deepest of films. And in a podcast called Show Me the Meaning, we do oftentimes have to squeeze a bit of water out of the rocks here to try to find some things. I think there's some cool themes to explore here, but of course, we want to hear from you. So if you're in the live chat right now on YouTube, definitely please be ambitious tell us your thoughts, ask us your questions, put that shit down there and we'll try to answer it. And of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast later on and you want to get in on the live chat, uh, remember that you can, we record uh, pretty much every single week at around this time. I mean, it depends on where you're in the world. For me, it's Wednesday at 11 a.m. Um, Pacific Standard Time. It's 6 p.m. on Tuesday night when we record. So just make a mental note of that and you can jump in on the live stream and you can chat with us as we are discussing things. Let's start things off. Ryan... Yo. Let's chat a little bit more about this. So you kind of are like, whatever about this film. It's just a, it, it's a thing. I would like to expand on my Marvel fatigue. Cause I don't just mean, oh, I've seen too many of 
them, the 20s. To me, it's a problem when uh, uh, you have to have so much backstory. This is a sequel to 20 movies or something, really. And so for all these different in-jokes and references, you have to be, uh, uh, for the movie to have its most impact, you kind of have to have seen a lot of this stuff. You can't just go in blind, I think. Um, uh, there's a, there was an interview I just saw with Florence Pugh where she's talking about bringing her mom to the premiere and her mom hasn't seen any of the Marvel movies. So she was like, yeah, I was that person at the movie having, you know, explaining the every yeah. five seconds, what a character was. Cause I wanted my mom to follow along. You shouldn't have to do that. <laughs> in my opinion, um, a movie should kind of, you know, obviously it's a sequel, so it takes some knowledge, but, but, but they should refine it more and they've done a good job on some of the sequels i think spider-man the set uh far from home did a good job obviously you, you would need to know what the whatever the snap the disappearance thing was to get that part of it but they do a good job of setting that up through news shows and stuff th- embedded in the movie to where if you come in blind and haven't seen the other movies you're not completely like what am i watching you know this i feel like you it's it's totally necessary so that's what i mean by marvel fatigue is that they need to do a better job of of making these more standalone or and and summing up what's happening and you know what prior knowledge you need for it what was confusing about this that that like if you didn't have prior knowledge what like because i don't really remember missing too much and i'm not like a big marvel head so i but i don't but i do know that a couple people have said like oh there were plot holes and i wonder if what they saw as being plot holes would have been dealt with had they had the whole backstory of all all the other films, you know? I don't know about plot holes and stuff, but just the, the mere fact that this movie takes place after Civil War, but before Infinity War. Just saying that sentence makes me laugh. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this movie is a prequel sequel to a bunch of movies you've seen, and it's in between movies called Civil War and Infinity War. And and so you know that this character is going to die, which that alone robs it of its stakes. Like, you know... This that's kind of what I was saying at the beginning. Why does this movie exist? Why did it come out now? Why did that movie they wait to make a Black Widow movie after she had died? Other than it was just for contractual reasons to make a Scarlett Johansson, you know, to make to pay Scarlett Johansson off. I don't know. Uh, uh, well, yeah. So it's probably yeah. partly that, but it's also they couldn't they couldn't make a a female led Marvel film. Uh, on a of a minor Marvel character at that time, right? They had to kind of build things out, and then I think once they kind of tested the market, they were like, "Okay, fuck, now's the time." And I think what they're doing is essentially they're just doing what they're doing kind of with all their properties is they're building out the brand, right? By saying, "Okay, so now we have to at least lay the groundwork so that now Florence Pugh can take over and she can have a Disney Plus series or she can have three films on right. her own or or whatever," right? So they had to do that, and it was a great way to pass the baton from a superstar in Scarlett Johansson to a rising star in Florence Pugh, who, by the way, this film, I think Raymond said it in our group chat, by the way, in in, in Telegram earlier, this is her movie. I mean, she steals every friggin' scene. And so I think that was why it was so important to do it that way at this time. Which, my cynical, the cynical take on that is, okay, cool. So that's a very smart um, and shrewd business move. 
But from a storytelling perspective, you're also like, okay, well, I mean, how are they going to build out the property? I mean, they got to do it this way. They can't well, thank just drop you, Austin. That's exactly what I, that was the point I was about to make is, is to me, that's not like, oh, wow. The, you know, they had to wait for this perfect time to tell this perfect story about this perfect character. <laughs> it's like, no, they were like, all right, fuck. We just killed off Scarlett Johansson. We need to replace Scarlett Johansson. All right, we need to make a movie about it. And let's get Florence Pugh. She's a rising star. This is a total just marketing movie, like, like. For them to get me invested in the next character and it and I, I, I guess I don't know it works for some people but uh, whatever I did think that if I had to talk good about the movie it has I do like movies about fucked up families and a, a movie about a bunch of you know assassins and a surrogate family cool idea uh, uh, so I like that part about it that's about all all the good stuff and Florence Pugh is great yeah 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 Raymond what you think brother well, I like, uh, yeah, I, I like Florence Pugh quite a bit. I thought David Harbour and Rachel Weisz were, uh, were very good in the film as well. And, um, you know, on, on that note, I think it is kind of... Scarlett Johansson has a tough job with this movie because she is the, she's the audience's sort of key into this world. Um, but she kind of has to play the straight man a little bit, or the straight woman, as it were, uh, with all these characters kind of having their own weird sort of quirky personalities that, you know, I, I, I actually, uh, Ryan, it's funny you say that this, this is coming in between however many movies on either end of it, but I think that where this movie succeeds, it succeeds because it's kind of in its own continuity a little bit, where we know, whatever, she has to eventually get back to to die in one of those avengers movies you could you could have made this like a really small sort of pocket sort of continuity and i just i came out of it thinking about um i don't know if y'all remember the first iron man how that that movie ended with just him and jeff bridges beating the shit out of each other on a freeway uh-huh. just like wearing big old mech suits and <laughs> just hammering away at each other. And that just seems so quaint compared to this, which is weird because, like, that's the movie that launched this entire franchise, this entire universe, and that was a much bigger or, I would say, more recognizable character than Black Widow at the time. And it just feels like the, these movies do have... These movies have a pretty high floor, but they also have a pretty low ceiling. Like, the folks at Marvel are just, like, three-star generals. They know how to crank out just, like, a... a they, they, they stick by their formula, and they, they, they nail that sort of just, like, right in the middle of the road, four-quadrant pleaser. But I just kind of wish that they would expand the frequency within which these movies are allowed to vibrate. Because when they do, uh, just even slightly, I, I think the movies... Uh, turn out they, they kind of stand out from the pack i think guardians of the galaxy is a really fun one because they kind of just they kind of just go and do like star wars on meth and uh like uh, uh what's 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 another good recent one i like winter soldier quite a bit because it's just like an alan pakula film and then they just chuck a superhero in there Did you like, like ragnarok I, I yeah i think ragnarok is a lot of fun it's just i like doctor farce. strange yeah doctor strange has some really cool imagery um, and I just, you know, I, I think with this one, it is, you, you see the seeds of that at the beginning with this cool little espionage thriller that they're setting up, and it's got touches of the Americans and touches of Jason Bourne and stuff like that, and then, 
I don't know, it just... It, like I said before, it all just ends up feeling kind of samey, and it's not really evident what the stakes are, because... And this is not my me be beating the same old drum that, like, oh, you know, I've seen Scarlett Johansson in movies that take place later than this, so I'm not worried about her dying. Like, I'm not worried about her dying because the movie shows her, like, get hit by an asteroid and, and like, walk it off. Um, so, I, I don't know. There are some cool ideas in it. Um, there was uh, one listener who jumped into the chat here. Um, do, 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 scrolling up. Uh, Icy Dreams, he said, uh, I like that it addressed how a lot of people you would consider bad guys are at different levels of indoctrination and brainwashing and misinformation, misunderstanding, loss, and loneliness. Um, and it, it does kind of gesture towards some of that stuff, that this this sort of shadowy cabal of assassins, they, you know, th this idea sort of dovetails with the, uh, the, the feminist perspective that the film brings to this, where, um, you know, in one scene, speaking of Florence Pugh, where she... Uh, she kind of offers the uh, the sort of like Florence Pugh take on uh, the stuff that Scarlett Johansson revealed in Avengers Age of Ultron about them having these forced hysterectomies and the stuff that's very traumatizing and the way that they presented in this film, Florence Pugh has the opportunity to kind of like reclaim that and and make it into a joke that makes a man feel really uncomfortable. And there are some moments like that where you're like, oh, there's there, there are some interesting ideas here at play. Um, but I think a lot of that just kind of gets washed away by the end of it when it all just turns into CGI noise again. But yeah, uh, so I do I do like a lot of those early scenes of drama, especially between Florence Pugh and David Harbour. I think they're wonderful in the picture. So is it just that when it turns into, like, explosions in the sky, is that really what makes the film go sour for you? Because that's really only the last 20 or 30 minutes of the film, and it's a two-hour film, right? So... I don't know. Like, it's like not for necessarily me, just. It's not. I, I, I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm using that as the 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 prime example of uh, of like the marvelization of the movie. Because honestly, maybe I've been a little bit too unfair, or I've sounded way more down on it than I am. I think this is like like I said, it's a perfectly middle of the road action thriller. I just, I, I, I just don't really know how to. All the stuff where it's her talking to Florence Pugh and they have these kind of, you know, sister bonding moments and and Florence Pugh is ribbing her about all of her action poses and stuff like that. I think that's a lot of fun. And I, I like that character-oriented ground-level stuff. And I think the... The, I'm fixating on the big CGI finale, but I think that is indicative of, like, the the overall problem with these movies and how they they're just kind of like they're victims of their own success in a way because you have to keep you, you have to keep upping the the stakes in, in every single one of these and i honestly think like uh when when ant-man came out people responded really well to that because it was like oh let's do a heist movie in the mcu and it seemed like for a minute there they they kind of had this sort of emerging formula of take a take a genre or uh, a, a sort of well-trod plot conceit and then just add the superheroics, add the science fiction elements and stuff like that. So I do I do like some of the the stuff in the in the middle phase where they they kind of play like I said Winter Soldier, Ant-Man is kind of fun here and there. And this movie, I think what rubs me the wrong way so much is that this movie feels like that really early on and then it kind of 
it, it, it just departs from that in a way that you know is it it just sucks like it just mm-hmm. it, it just kind of becomes noise and and that that bums me out sorry for, for, for me it was it's not the action which i did think was not that cool i did i liked when that one car like flew landed on a went up in the air went on a train then went downstairs and stuff you know there's mm. some oh yeah down underground yeah that's yeah that was cool that's a cool that's a cool chase scene but the way that it ends is a perfect example of like whether she's falling out of the sky or her car is getting turned into a fucking pancake like she walks away unscathed and it's you know that no, but that Florence kind Pugh of is problem, bleeding like a sieve, was... man. Her character Yelena hold, is. Hold on, yeah. but but then but then they they jump up into an attic and ten they're minutes super later, soldiers. She's, God know. damn it! Yeah, they they're, they're, they've been trying to do this their whole lives. They're they're well trained, but they don't have like a super soldier serum. Their DNA hasn't been uh, other than like the stupid pheromone block. I don't know, man. When I'm on a plant based diet and I'm working out a lot, you should see me on the fucking bars, <laughs> yeah, bro. I feel like I can do some but fucking crazy. That's that's the thing is that like there is there is a difference between a a well honed killing machine people who are excellent fighters or martial artists and stuff and those people are out there and they're impressive as all get out and and someone like Steve Rogers who is a product of science fiction you know like and and that's the thing is that so often in this movie they're playing or at least early on they're playing the gravity of the former and in the the you know the end of the movie they're playing the anti-gravity of the latter i mean that that early sequence where florence Pugh sticks a knife into the lady and and turns it and drags it up and i was kind of like wow this is sort of brutal for a a disney movie you know and and that like in that moment you're like yeah this is this is a ground level mcu story about people who who cannot walk off you know knife wounds and repel bullets with bracelets like Wonder Woman or what have you and and that's I just I just feel like the promise of uh, of the first 40 or 45 minutes sort of like the the track that they're laying down it it just doesn't it doesn't fulfill that by the end of it yeah and on top of that this the coming at it from like does how does it uh, shore up against a Bourne movie or something like I didn't think the twists and turns or the villain was particularly believable or interesting like the idea that this guy has an army of women out there and what didn't he say that it was like the, his one throwaway line was because of why that is because girls are the earth's most like, like uh, the natural resource of earth yeah, yeah. that they have too much of on earth we should talk about that what the fuck does that even mean um, well they're paying some they're paying some lip service to like harvey weinstein and jeff i thought when i was watching this i was like oh this is jeffrey epstein and the red room is the lolita express and they even show him in the opening credits with like all of history's greatest monsters like uh you know vladimir and putin bill and bill clinton and yeah. condoleezza rice and yeah <laughs> you know there is there are aspects of that but even like when they get up there and they get back to like actors acting not in front of a green screen and she is trying to kill uh, Jeffrey Epstein or whatever his name is in this, um, and she can't do it because the pheromone blocker. I'm just like, just fight, like you're an extraordinarily intelligent super spy. Just like grab your gun and go across the room and shoot him from there. <laughs> like I mean, it's, it's just one of those. It's just a very sweaty conceit, and that that stuff when people start like, or another example is when when Rachel Weiss tells her. In the farmhouse, she goes, you know, I called the Red Room a minute ago, and they'll be here any moment. And then the movie goes on to 
show that she and Scarlett Johansson traded masks in the moment between Rachel Weiss telling her that and and the Red Room showing up. I'm just sitting there like, well, why did she tell the Red Room in the first place? Why didn't they take some time to clue Florence Pugh and David Harbour in on this? And it's one of those things that I just, I genuinely really, really hate when I'm watching a movie is when I can feel screenwriters making decisions for characters that the characters themselves would never make. And it just is to, and when those things start adding up, that's when the movie loses me. Because if, if, if your movie's not built on a solid foundation, it's not, you know, like, the, the, once, these, once these characters, like, motivations and objectives are completely thrown out the window, it's like, well, why am I even supposed to care, let alone try, when it just becomes ones and zeros? So they can make Black Widow 2. Now, Austin... <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, what I want to know is what did your lady friend, uh, think about the movie? Because like Maria B said in the chat, speaking of a feminist perspective, we should have had a female commentator, but I, I, uh, uh, would love to know what more women thought of this movie. Yes. So if you're out there, please email us and let us know because do women like this movie? I, I don't know. I literally was just about to say that I want to turn into some of the themes of smash the patriarchy and some of the role of femininity in this because I did have a long chat after um, we watched the film a little bit with her, I'll say. Um, and then this morning again, taking the doggo for a walk, we were chatting again. And she mentioned a couple things that I thought were really kind of cool that maybe dudes wouldn't pay attention to. Things like this. Not only is this, okay, yeah, girl boss power, and it's amazing to have a film that is directed and helmed by a woman, but that also stars these women in ways that doesn't tokenize them, that doesn't um, objectify them in, in ways that a lot of times... Um, superhero characters are objectified and or tokenized and a couple of little things little things that she mentioned that I thought were really lovely little touches was that there were pockets in the vest that Yelena loves because women never have pockets in their clothes and if you look at the superheroes like where the fuck do they put things and so for her it was this kind of really lovely nod to this inside joke within like women's circles that's like yeah you never have pockets for anything and this vest and that was the inside joke she loves this vest because of all the fucking pockets that she has that she can put stuff in because women's clothing has either those a tiny like I've worn I, I went through a phase where I used to wear girl jeans and I remember the biggest thing about it one is there's not much ballroom and two there's the pockets are tiny like my phone couldn't fit in the fucking pockets man and so I was like yeah I can't do that anymore those those jeans that was a thing when I was a scenester back in the day um but yeah so the pocket thing was a big thing she also loved the fact that their hair was tied back she's like Wonder Woman's hair is always down why the fuck is Wonder Woman's hair down she's like if you're going and she's like tie that fucking hair back and the fact that Melina's hair was up and those are things that we might look at as being like oh okay but for her that was kind of like no like those things are actually like significant directorial or um production design choices that really show that this film was kind of it just authentically seemed to come from a place of a woman director and I actually asked her that I was like did it feel try hard I was like did was there ever a moment where you stepped back and were like oh that just seems like someone's writing a female character and I was like and she's like no I never had one of those moments and I was like the interesting thing for me was I felt a couple moments like even though I kind of picked up on the pocket thing but I didn't fully pick up on it I felt like oh I felt a little bit like I feel like I'm in um in like uh 
like when her and her sister are having the conversations, I felt like I was really in like an intimate feminine space for a little bit there, right? So I think that there's something really interesting. And then the last thing I'll say, and you know, this is kind of a lot, but there's clearly some smash the patriarchy vibes here, right? You've got a dude who's this evil supervillain who wants to take over the world and he wants to do it by exploiting resources. And what are those resources? It's the resources of the women of the world and what their capacities are, right? And so in like, political theory, there's something called social reproduction theory. And social reproduction theory is kind of like trying to understand what is it about domestic work, what is it about the work of women around the world that has been neglected as being an essential and integral component to the production of um, economic and social uh, systems in the world, right? And I was kind of thinking, oh, this is like a very, almost like Handmaid's Tale, right? Handmaid's Tale is a very clear kind of nod to like examining social reproduction, also just like physical reproduction, right? Um, but like this was also like, oh, let's take these resources that are essentially um, in the bodies of, of women and we're going to place them in the hands of this man who is going to exploit them for his own purposes so that he can enrich himself. And then what ends up happening is that the women, not by appealing to the powers of Tony Stark or any other dude that comes in to save the day, but simply by their own craft, by their own cunning, by their own talent, by their own power, they're the ones who are able to kind of come up and rise together to overcome the controlling mechanisms of the kind of dominant patriarchal, patriarchal figure. So that was kind of the stuff that I think really stood out for her and that we kind of talked about and that I kind of was like I think that's part of the reason why I thought this film was really cool because it was able to do that without it feeling too tryhard to me I know that people might feel like oh no it was like PC and woke but I like let's stop that and let's just I, I think that there was something really interesting about its kind of like authentic expression of the characters that it was that it was showing so that was kind of what she was saying yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was uh, pushing too hard in any direction or trying too hard, whatever that would even mean. But there, it's funny that you bring that up. That you had asked her if you felt like at any point there were, um, you know, men men riding women and falling into certain traps. Um, they, I'm pretty sure I heard I heard somewhere that the uh, in the script for this, which at, at one point was written by I'm not 100 percent sure who all the credited writers are on this, um, but originally in the script the scene that i had mentioned before about florence Pugh, uh you know sort of what seems like maybe almost ad-libbing about the hysterectomy i think that scene had originally just ended with david harbour making that joke like oh is it your time of the month right now and then when florence Pugh got involved and when uh kate shortland got involved they they rewrote that so that Mm. like florence Pugh could take back the high status in the scene um and and you mentioned too having their hair pushed back. This is just a a, a brief aside. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Birds of Prey. I liked it quite a bit. Um, but there's a there's a great moment in that that watching it in theaters. I remember just laughing out loud because it is absolutely representative of how like how vital uh, a a woman's perspective is on you know a bunch of fight scenes and stuff which that movie includes because there's there's a scene i think it's uh i think it's journey smollett uh in one of the final fight scenes her hair is covering her face and it keeps getting in front of her eyes and stuff and at one point one of the other members of the team kind of like says hey over here and she chucks her a hair tie and she's just like thanks so much (laughs) and she just like but and it's just such a great beat folded within the texture of the scene and it, it it got a great response from the audience and I love, you know, I, I, I love stuff like that. I, I really enjoyed that movie. I really enjoy the stuff in this movie where uh, where it's, uh, 
the the family's trying to you know work through their shit and there there may be some some stuff when you know when they get up into outer space where things get a little bit sweaty for me but i think that's that's the frustrating thing about this movie is that it it has so much promise and it feels so personal at moments that to see it kind of get pushed through the same marvel meat grinder as all these other movies do it like it just it just feels like a betrayal of all the good work that was done in the film up until that point. So. I, I just want to say, so in the comments here, um, Daniel writes, you know, I agree with all of this, but a great message wasted on a mediocre movie is more frustrating than invigorating. Like, imagine how good this would be if Greta Gerwig, Gerwig had written slash directed and then said, which is why I'm looking forward to Eternals so much. Zhao is an absolute master filmmaker and has a chance to really change this stuff. Like, what do you think, Raymond? All this stuff that you're talking about, like, okay. Like, if we could ground it a little bit more, do you think someone like like a Zhao or like someone like Greta Gerwig would, would take a Marvel piece of property and be more consistent with that, like, grounded, earthly, human thing that you're kind of hoping for or that well, you're looking for? you can you, – you know, so much of this stuff is imposed by the studio – so I'm not I'm not laying any of these films failures at the the feet of the filmmakers or anything like that. I mean, at the at the end of the day, a lot of these movies are this this is not to to denigrate the process like, you know, this is just Disney's thing is that a lot of these movies are kind of made by committee, you know, they they have to they have to clear through like uh, Taika Waititi was saying about Thor Ragnarok that there was a bunch of stuff that ended up in the movie that he didn't write into the script but he made note of while he was working on the script because he knew it would get cut out of the script but that if they saw it on screen or saw it with an audience they would keep because it would it would get a laugh out of the audience and there's there's little things like that where you recognize that you know these these filmmakers do kind of have to be clever about how they get their voice through this you know this this is a machine through the through this formula through this format and i i love chloe zhao i think her her movies are phenomenal i've never seen a chloe zhao movie that i didn't like um and i am both looking forward to the eternals in the same way that i look forward to any one of her movies but i'm also i'm a little bit nervous that what makes her movies so special, at least to me, might kind of get ground down and, you know, some of her rougher edges might get sanded off through this process, but that's the process, you know? Like, I'm sure that after she makes The Eternals, she's going to have the the freedom and the wherewithal to go off and make, you know, one or two or three more Chloe Zhao movies that are coming from, you know, it's a, it's all the give and take. One for me, one for them, whatever you want to call it, but... I'm I'm definitely eager to see what she does with it because I know that she 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 wouldn't go to that like project or that thing if she didn't have a, a clear idea or at least I assume that she wouldn't if she didn't have a clear idea of what she wanted to do with it or how it fit within her voice. Well, and we can also think of it like this. You know, sometimes it's 10 steps forward, 8 steps back. 11 steps forward, 2 steps back, right? So this is how it happens a lot of times with progress. It happens a lot of times with equality and diversity. It happens a lot of time with pushing the boundaries of what we can do with a product in an artistic world that is hamstrung, if you will, by a studio system, right? So like... If we compare what Marvel films will be five, ten years from now, or let's say any superhero product, DC, etc., 
How are they going to be different because of these new voices that just slip subtle little things in? So maybe the first 45 minutes of this film that you kind of really enjoy so much, maybe that can be an hour and a half of the next film. Maybe there'll be a spin-off that is so grounded that is just like, like I really liked Jessica Jones and Daredevil as series that were on Netflix, right? I heard those were good. Right? So maybe we'll get more of those kinds of things, you know, things that are, that are, products that are built out from this but at the same time they can't just all of a sudden drop in some sort of like indie film Sundance Darling type which is what I would love to see but they can't do it so maybe there's a way that we can be like okay so a couple they could make an 80 million dollar action movie that it's I'm not saying an indie movie but like not every single one of these characters needs a big 200 million dollar you know like nine eleven. Do you understand I mean, finance earth, investment? How on earth Raymond? did they need it? Hold, hold on, no, 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 no. Hold on. How on earth did no one in the Marvel universe hear about this huge fucking space station falling out of the sky? Like they never referenced that at any point. And I'm not saying like these movies have to be beholden to the the sort of like contradictions and and plot narratives that they sort of write them or corners that they write themselves into it at, at points throughout these many different branching continuities but it is just one of those things that's like if you're going to position this movie halfway through roughly or two-thirds of the way through the marvel cinematic universe continuity as we've come to understand it then why why would you do this huge like world-altering massive thing that would absolutely have had some greater ramifications on the movie that we never we never get to see this movie's effect on the other movies other than we see where Scarlett Johansson's jacket came from that she shows up in in a, in a later movie like that's that's the thing that gets to me is like if you i mean Marvel is is such an established brand, you can't tell me that, like, you, you bring up financing. If they made a 60 or $80 million movie that was indexing more off of Jason Bourne or Mission Impossible throughout the film, you can't tell me the movie would would fail because they didn't spend an extra $120 million making it and an extra $100 million marketing it or whatever. Like, people go see Marvel. They're invested in this universe. They tune into it because... These are soap operas. These are their stories. Like, people are invested in these characters and in this universe. So I just I just wish they would take a few more risks here and there because, like, n- none of these movies have ever failed. Like, they, they, they have such a well-established track record that at this point you could afford to do, a, 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 like, a movie like this, but just a, a little less like all the other ones. You know what I mean? This one failed, box office-wise, I think. Well, there's a pandemic. Well, it's and also the Disney. I mean, they're who knows what they're they're pulling in Disney Plus wise. They may be cannibalizing their audience a little bit there, but all of this stuff is going to subsidize. How much are they going to make in fucking action figures and backpacks and lunchboxes and Halloween costumes and all that other shit? Video games. Ryan, let's get back to the smashing of the patriarchy and uh, and girl power. Mm -hmm. There. What do what do you think about all this stuff? Let's do it. Yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Did you did you pick up? Did you pick up on those vibes? Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty obvious metaphor, I think, but the uh and I agree with Raymond that it didn't for this to for this movie to be kind of a prequel in a sense. It was kind of weird for them to go so big with uh with the the villain stakes there at the end. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, he represents that evil powerful man who is going to, you know, who doesn't give a fuck about anything but himself and the in the in his bottom line and 
yeah, and obviously he's sexist to boot. And he does so, kind of look like Harvey Weinstein it, a little bit. I don't bit, know if it was he? that deep of a. I, I didn't get much. You know, it was it was pretty much a James Bond, pretty exaggerated version of of smashing the patriarchy. Which you know, I'm not saying we don't need in movies, but it was. Uh, uh, it's not like you know. This is not a deep film. We, with this movie, this this <laughs> podcast, I feel like we've already given this movie way more credit than it, than it possibly deserves. Even from the and and we should remember that these movies are made for entertainment and to. Uh, that's why I'm really interested to see you know what young girls think about Black Widow if this movie was like inspiring to them or something, whereas or or even entertaining or funny because to me I'm just maybe I'm so jaded and I've seen so many but I definitely. I was I wasn't that entertained for lots of it. I was kind of bored, and it wasn't that funny. Uh, so, but maybe it's just not for me. This so, is the other thing uh, that I asked. I asked the lady. Uh, I said, like, if you were a seven, like when you were seven, you know, like, did you have things like this? Like, would this have been something that actually mattered to you? That you had a, a superhero that was a, a strong, a strong girl, a strong woman? And she was like, you know what? When I was young, and I'm trying to, I'm. Uh, looking at it right now she was like when I was younger I didn't really have have that she's like what I really loved was Harriet the Spy which was a show that she used to watch yeah the movie rocked yeah and I was like oh and so she used to watch that all the friggin time Harriet the Spy and so I was like okay cool so I think I do think that like for for young girls this sort of thing matters not that I think that representation is the be all end all of how we should always measure what is good in a society but it does fucking matter to be like oh you know what like like I see myself able to do these things rather than it's like oh in America we love to be like anyone can become anything you can be a fucking president of the United States if you want or you can become a NASA scientist you can travel to space blah 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 and then you're like cool I can do that but every single example that I have is somebody that doesn't look like me doesn't have my experience doesn't have my background can't speak from my perspective can't articulate ways that I can confront and overcome the problems that limit me right And so I think when you see somebody that can be like, oh, this is how we can kind of transcend, if you will, the conditions, I think that shit matters. Even if it's in like a small, seemingly small, insignificant, not deep artistic product. I think that shit fucking matters. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, uh, I've been drinking the woke soup, but uh, I, I absolutely do, man. I fucking, I'm keen. Give me more of this shit. Pump this shit into my veins. Uh, well, maybe don't pump it into my veins. Give it to me in 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 really well crafted stories, ideally. But I'll take it. I'll still take Butt it. Butt chug it. <laughs> All right, let's let's do this. Final final thoughts, and then we'll turn to a couple of voicemails that we have. Raymond, you 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 looked like you were about to say something. What were you gonna say? Oh no no, I was um uh yeah. Final thoughts. Um, I know that. Uh, there was someone in the uh, chat who uh, I'm sorry if I mess up your name here, Jedediah, uh, Jedediah Oyayami. Um, apologies if I butchered that pronunciation, but uh, he mentioned that um, John Favreau kind of notoriously had some uh, some troubles with Iron Man two, uh, sort of working through the Marvel system as it was being codified, and um, his movie after Iron Man two was Chef, which yeah. is about a, a guy who bucks against uh, a very systematized uh, cooking world to go off and do his own thing independently. And I think Chef is a lot of fun. Uh, And it's very clearly, it seems like a response to his experience working on these movies and and feeling like he was 
uh, creatively bound or, or boxed in in some way. I don't necessarily know how to read that, considering the fact that he went back to Disney right after that and made like uh, Jungle Book and Lion King and all that stuff. But uh, as much as I uh, enjoyed Chef, I'm I'm really looking forward to what Kate Shortland does next because I'm sure that this will, you know, free up a little bit of uh, or, or or give her some opportunities to make movies that are a bit more personal. Likewise, what I was saying about uh, Chloe Zhao, filmmakers like Taika Waititi, I think uh, any world with more movies from these filmmakers is is better. I, I you know I'm a big fan of them. I'm in their corner. And if this is the springboard that gives them the opportunity to do that stuff, I'm all for it. Hell yeah. Ryan, final thoughts? My final thought is that they had one big missed opportunity when when David Harbaugh's on the hanging off the side of the plane at the beginning of the movie, and then there's like a fade to them. It's like morning time and the plane's landing. They should have had him still on the wing, like screaming, oh. like. Ah! <laughs> and then like, I said the same thing. Yeah, like I, I no. leaned over to my girlfriend and said the same exact thing. <laughs> that would have been so much funnier than what we got. Yeah, that's the the Indiana Jones tied to the periscope of the uh, of the submarine and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, amazing. That's my final thought, Austin. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, cool. All right, so let's transition into the mailbag. Of course, if you're listening out there and you're in the live chat, that's great. Keep throwing out your thoughts, your comments, your questions. But you can also email us if you have a more extended thought that you want to present to us or a longer question or just a short, pithy question, whatever. We will take all of them. You can email us at movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. But you can also call us. We would love to hear your beautiful voices out there. You can call us at 1-213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807. And you can leave us a voicemail with questions or thoughts or recommendations or whatever. We're going to look at the first question. Um, We have a question about uh, Moonlight. And um, drug addiction and how it's portrayed on screen. So go ahead, take it away, caller. What was your question slash thoughts about Moonlight? Hey, uh, first time like uh, calling you guys, but I've been a fan for a while. So this is a uh, about the Moonlight episode, and I think it's one of your guys' better ones. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, uh, representation is what you're talking about. And obviously, this movie was big for uh, you know the LGBTQT community and the like, especially like black community in regards to that, but I'm neither of those things. I'm like a straight, uh, half Hispanic, half Japanese male, and I felt, but I uh, come from a family of drug addiction and of having a lot of friends and family go through the juvenile delinquent system, and I feel like this movie is one of the few that actually depicted that, and I just want to hear some of your guys' thoughts on uh, maybe why this film was like successful and uh, like, you know, depicting drug addiction and not either kind of what I call, like, I've heard called, like, poverty porn, like a movie like Precious, or, like, you know, some of the criticisms there, and, like, why this is most successful and other films weren't. Uh, sorry, that wasn't really a question, but uh, thanks. Bye. 
Yeah, I think I didn't catch all that. Austin. Okay, yeah, essentially um, saying that you know we talked a lot about like diversity representation and things like that, but the caller was like, "Look, that's not my experience, but I do come from a family that has dealt with drug addiction." And so, what are your thoughts on how drug addiction is dealt with on um, on screen in films? You know, and how can it sometimes veer into poverty porn and maybe being exploitative? And then, like, kind of at least from what I got from the question is like, what makes a successful depiction of drug addiction, and and what do we think about how it's depicted typically on screen, and then particularly in in Moonlight, what do we think of how it was depicted? Any thoughts on that? I, I was just going to say on the subject of Moonlight and um, how it depicts uh, addiction, I I think sort of the key to Moonlight with, uh, I mean, essentially all of its characters is that it never it never judges any of the characters whether they're drug addicts, uh, drug dealers like Mahershala Ali's character. Um, it doesn't the, the the film never judges uh, the the characters, and I think that's that's a really important aspect of uh, uh, of not just screenwriting, but just artistic representation in general, you hear that a lot with, uh, with actors. If you ever take acting classes, they always tell you, like, the, the important thing is that you never, you never judge the character that you're playing. You always have to find the humanity. You have to relate to them in a certain way. And if you're holding them at arm's length or judging them, that just that puts a distance between you and the, and the character that, that isn't fair to them or yourself. And, um, yeah, I think with, with Moonlight, I, I would say that's, that's key to its success across the board is that uh, it never regards any of these characters with judgment. As, as for movies in general, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not sure. There's so many different ways in which, uh, in which drug addiction is depicted, and that is for all of the horror and gore that I watch, I have a really, really tough time with addiction stories for personal reasons, so mm. I, I'm probably not the right person to speak on that. I... Uh, um... I thought they did a great job with it, and and it's because the whole movie is so real, you know, like like they're the the, the characters, you know, they're not wallowing in it. It's to tell a, a cool story, but I agree with you that it's so hard to portray drugs, especially people hardcore addicted to drugs in movies, because it comes off so hokey. And I think hmm. that's kind of a performance thing more than anything. It's it's hard to act like you are addicted to drugs in a movie and have it come off uh, not only believable, but not what you're talking about, poverty porn, you know, because it's already just a sad situation in general. And I think to, to, to me, the uh, my as someone who's literally trying to stop smoking spliffs as we speak, uh, uh, I uh, uh, my, my favorite movie about addiction, and this is you know the classic one, is Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, yeah. Sky I think that Sky nails... mentioned that in the comments. Yeah. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Because I think it nails uh, uh, the repetition aspect of it the most, which I think is the most important thing. You don't really get that when you just see a character. You know, you just see how the you know them the effects it's had. But Requiem for a Dream really wallows in the the you know you see it from beginning to end and kind of the repetition and how it starts and then the middle and then how it obviously ends, which I think is an important aspect of it all. Is uh, so yeah, I think Requiem for a Dream probably does it the best of any movie I've seen. I can't stand that movie. I mean, I get it. It's hard to watch, man. No, but yeah, yeah. like, like not to, it's not awesome. Not to start a Requiem podcast, but yeah. no, I, can't, I can't stand that movie. Yeah, I, I, the last thing I'll say about this is I've got a friend who's a filmmaker who um, has alcohol addiction in his family and whose father actually uh, lost his life from alcohol addiction. And he constantly deals with, I guess, frustration, but also sometimes there's almost like he appreciates when a film handles addiction well. But he 
most of the time that alcohol addiction in particular, alcoholism is dealt with on screen, he gets frustrated because he's like, that is that is a really kind of piss poor kind of depiction of it. Now, of course, it varies from situation to situation, um, but it's almost like because he has dealt with it so traumatically and, and firsthand, um, it's like he almost feels like there's like a responsibility to get it right, you know? So... Um, that's the only thing I'll say. That's just like a quick little anecdote, and, and I don't know how other people feel about when they get it right. Like, is it right in A Star is Born, or is it right in Requiem for a Dream, and, and how do we even determine that? I don't really know. Or is it glamorized sometimes, you know? And then and then I did actually have um, a kind of professor once. It's a, he's a critical theorist, philosopher named Andrew Benjamin one time. He was talking about the film Blue Valentine, and he said something along the lines of, he's like, what this film kind of shows is just how much Americans hate the um, working class. And, and that was something that's always stuck in my mind. It was something about not poverty porn, but almost like, like we love the, the films depicting quote unquote white trash or the poor or because it kind of maybe makes us feel better about our situation. I don't know. I, I don't really know. I've never fully understood what he meant when he said that, but it's something that has stayed in my mind and that I'm still trying to kind of think about. Like, like, why do we enjoy or why do we hate? Why do we loathe these films? Is it also like a fascination? Is it a loathing that is also a fascination? I don't know. Interesting stuff. If you've got any thoughts about that, please write into us. Email us, movies at wisecrack.co. And again, of course, you can call us and leave us a voicemail. 1-213-534-8807. Everybody, where can we find you on the internet? Raymond. Oh, yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematorio. Stop by, say hi. We can talk movies there. Ryan. Ryan Shorts on YouTube and Instagram and Ryan's Game Show on Twitter. Come check me out. Holla, my name's Austin Hayden. Say hi. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Insta. You can find me on TikTok. We love you. We're going to get the F out of here. Send us out, Ryan. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. This has been a very in-depth discussion on Black Widow at Show Me the Meaning.